Audio is the most primal sense. When we're in our mother's wombs, it's the first of the senses to fully develop. And it, people say that it's still the one that is the most important. Podcast Junkies, episode 120. Just back from Podfest and in the car right now as I'm trying to multitask. I don't know if it's the, the best way to do it and we'll see how this sound comes out. But I'm using the Motive application, M-O-T-I-V from Shure, which is on my iPhone. And it's uh, something that I became aware of when I started working with the Motive M51 uh, microphones, which uh, are from Shure, which is a sponsor of this week's episode and ongoing sponsor, and I'm uh, eternally grateful to them for that. So I get to play with all this great equipment and test it out for your benefit to see if it works. One thing I do want to clarify is that although I'm using the Shure Motive uh, recording application on the iPhone. I'm actually recording this with my earbuds. So I think uh, what I want to try and do is simulate environments that podcasters may find themselves in. And I think uh, for those of you that are doing an amazing job of being consistent with your approach, I think we have to keep in mind that perfect is the enemy of done. So we need to make sure we can always make move forward. And, uh, you know, sometimes we just need to, you know, for, for something like an intro, I think, in my opinion, it's if the quality is good in your interview, then you should, and, and your community knows that you're well-intentioned and this is not something that's always going to happen. Uh, I think it's, it's okay to get something out there recorded um, and take advantage of the fact that you are, You could be on the road or you could be traveling like I've been for the past three weeks. And I think I'm going to be thinking of that more often. And and I think in the past, I've tried to to wait until I was in the hotel room or wait till I had some time at the end of a uh, a, a, the day of of a conference. And for those of you that have been at conferences, especially podcasting conferences, you know, (laughs) when you're around your peeps, it is not easy. So, um, so this is just to clarify, it's being recorded with my earbuds into the Motive app. And uh, I may make sure that I have the M51 in the car because I, I want you to experience what it'd be like and make your own decisions and decide whether that's a setup that might make sense for you. Before I get too far ahead, I'd like to welcome you to Podcast Junkies, weekly episodes with interesting podcasters, a whole handful of whom I met this past weekend at PodFest in Florida. What a fantastic conference. I'll probably get into more detail there, but in, in short, let me just say this is, it's one of the most heartfelt uh, conferences I've ever attended. And it just makes sense because it's run by Katie and Chris. Uh, Chris spearheads most of it, uh, Kermitsos, um, and he just does a fantastic job. Um, one of the things that stood out for me was the fact that he was wearing a, a badge that said attendee and when asked about that, he said, it's because I want to experience the, I always want to experience the conference as an actual attendee. And he was actually learning stuff from the sessions too, which was an amazing mindset to have. And it's something that we can all relate to because if, uh, 
anything you do in life, and especially if you're a podcaster, you always want to put yourself in the in the seat of, of your listener and get a feel for what it's like uh, to consume your show. That's why you should always, always, if you're podcasting, be consuming your episodes, listening to your episodes, even after they've launched. I usually hear it uh, during the recording, obviously, and then uh, sometimes during the edit and... And always, uh, I have it in my podcast player, and I have it in multiple podcast players because not only do you want to hear what it sounds like, as and and, and appreciate it as a listener, but you also want to experience what the interface is like on apps like Overcast on on the iTunes player, um, this new one that I'm trying out, uh, Satchel Player, which I I was uh, honored enough to to meet Bo um, and the team there. I, I, and they've got an interesting player that actually supports donations for your podcast directly on the on the app. You can listeners can actually click on a button that says uh, support, and which is fantastic. And I think it's something that I'm going to be digging into a bit more. So, in case you missed last week's episode, which seems like eons ago, um, it was great to talk to the language of romance duo and and really get an understanding of what it was that made them tick, and that it wasn't just a a podcast that they had created um, to just have fun and, 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 and be silly on the microphone, but the underlying theme was this idea of friendship and, and connecting as friendship, which really resonated with me. Um, I've got a couple of other uh, two hosted or co-hosted podcasts coming up, and I think that you're going to see that as an overarching theme. I have a husband and uh, wife team coming up uh, soon as well. More on that later. Uh, this week I speak to Keith Tomasek. Um, Keith has an interestingly titled uh, show called The Inadequate Life, and we connected at uh, a couple of podcast movements, and as is always the case, I, I love uh, having in-depth conversations that I then want to continue on this show. He's a fantastic interviewer. Uh, as I was listening through the episode again, it, it was, I almost, uh, not, not almost, I actually caught things that I, I for some reason, didn't um, hit, it, hit home as much as they should have when I was listening to it. Um, and maybe that just speaks to me laser focusing in even more in terms of my attention and making sure that I'm always catching everything that's being said. Because he, he really had some amazing gems. Um, he's a, he's a, just a brilliant interviewer. We talked about... Um, how he's how he what approach he takes when he's conducting interviews and always from the mind of a student always listening learning and trying to improve himself which is something that we should all strive towards we talked uh, a little bit about some personal things he gets into his, uh, having what it's like to have Crohn's disease and and how he's been able to navigate through life with that um, and some other fun tid- tidbits about uh, the class that he taught where he wore the Podcast Junkies t-shirt. Um, he taught a class on podcasting. So I really like this conversation. It's a bit longer than usual. So just be patient. There's a lot of really good gems here if you uh, listen throughout. And as, as always, at the end of the episode, the retention hashtag will be the way that I double-check to see who my super fans are that are listening to the end of the show. Uh, if you're new to the show, then that's something new. That's not something new. That's something that I create. Um, it's a it's a hashtag that's only um, only uh, broadcast or, or or I only let people know about it 
at the end of the episode, and then you can tweet about it and tag both me and the guest. There's an interesting bit towards the end as we're wrapping up um, that gets into some of the training I'm doing uh, around how to be a better speaker. And I initially was going to cut it out, but then we, we wrapped it back into uh, how this relates to podcasting. And I, I think it's inspiring um, in terms of the, the conversation, um, especially for those of you that want to look to take this platform of podcasting and the work that you're doing with your audience and think about other stages because uh, podcasting is a online stage, but there's no reason why you can't take that approach to an offline stage. So I think there's some valuable information there for you as well, which is why I left it in there. So enjoy the conversation. And uh, I also want to thank Podbeam. Podbeam, I, I had a great chat with uh, some of the folks there and and at Podfest as well. And, I, and I'm really happy to see what they're doing for the community. Um, they, I love the fact that they have fixed pricing uh, for your hosting. Uh, so they plan to start as low as $9. And uh, it's a great place to get started if you're just looking to kick off or start a second or third podcast. But So give them a try at Podfest. Uh, podbeam.com slash podcast junkies so enjoy the show and uh we'll we'll regroup soon all right let's go let's jump into it keith Tomasek, thank you for joining me and thank you for representing podcast junkies with the t-shirts hey harry you know this t-shirt's all over the place it's been i took it to the bahamas i wore it on the airplane to the bahamas it was so fun and you know what's cool about it is that every now and then someone will say Hey, are you into podcasts? Like, I wish it happened more, but it, this is to me, and I've got a lot of those t-shirts from the podcasting conventions and stuff. This still rocks totally. Well, it's funny because I I do the same with my uh, lips and t-shirt, the hashtag podcaster. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've got my collection, though. I've got three different colors, so I guess that means I've been to three different podcast movements. <laughs> no, you're not changing. This is only going to stay yellow, yours, right? You're not going to switch yeah. it up? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I was I was wondering. The only thing I might add is uh, I might change the, the material, make it get... I know there's some blends that are a little softer, and then uh, some of the ladies were asking for V-neck. L- the softer blend, haven't you been listening to Startup, Dove Charney, the guy who created the soft blend t-shirt? That's over, man. <laughs> it's back to hard. You were like ahead of Dove Charney with this good old-fashioned tea, right? Yes, m- minus the uh, the strange uh, afflictions that he has. That was a bizarre, bizarre uh, season. I loved it. Uh, and I've got to be honest, I'm an old... Uh, guy from montreal and my sister was involved in the schmata business so she and i haven't reached out to some of our friends to see if they worked with him but um it's a small world and and i'm sure i'm probably two degrees away from him it's uh yeah it was it was sort of dark but what a fabulous uh, season of uh, of startup man did you say schmata business schmata business yeah (laughs) please define i'm i'm actually not so that's an old yiddish term for you know rag the rag trade people who would sell clothing and sort of stuff like that so my sister was a model uh, and my brother got involved in uh, selling soft goods so like sketcher shoes and all that sort of stuff you know that's what he does but we've all left montreal the whole clan there's four i've got four siblings in montreal i don't know if you know this but back in the 70s there was this huge political uh force and the french canadians who founded uh, f- founded uh, uh, montreal but were basically persecuted by the anglophones sort of took over and a lot of uh, english people got scared and left do you have a jewish background no no well no my mother 
is Dutch. My dad's Czech, Eastern European. So there's probably some Eastern European Jewish blood, but no, not at all. Like we sort of grew up agnostic. Hey, the other thing I was going to tell you about the shirt was I wore it. I think you, I sent you this picture. I wore it. I taught a class at the University of Western Ontario here. And on the first day, I had about 20 students who were in a lab. And I'm like, come on, we're going to do a selfie. And I didn't think anything of it. So I took a selfie and I put it up. And like in one of the second or third last classes, one of the students came up to me and said, that was so cool. I couldn't believe it. A professor took a selfie. All the other students couldn't believe it. And it was it was nice because I had the shirt and I had all the young students. And I didn't even think about it. But apparently that was kind of weird for the students, a professor at a university class taking a selfie. There's a there's a comedian that we've been watching lately. His name is uh, Sebastian Manuscalo. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's Italian from, uh, I think he grew up in Chicago, but it, it's pure like like Italian, like you would probably call him a Guido and his just mannerisms are all over the place. And he's got this bit where he's like, selfie, they should call that a lonely. <laughs> yeah, really. Because yeah. <laughs> most of the time it's just one person there all by himself, like taking Sad. it. Sad. Yeah, I only, I, my, my first selfie, I was down in my podcasting studio. I've got a boy, he's probably, probably he was eight when, when I took that, it was my first selfie and I literally faked it. I stuck out my arm like I was taking a selfie and he stood there and took the picture for me because it was, I had to get my head around it. But I knew because I'm surrounded by young people, I have to get into this world of selfies. So anyway, now I can actually do a selfie by myself. <laughs> so how did the class go? Good question. It was, uh, you know, uh, you know, we always hate each other. And I mean, I, I tend to give myself a hard time during the class. I was afraid that I hadn't given them enough technical uh, training because I really like to focus on storytelling. My background is journalism and filmmaking. And I think that's the most important thing. I think if you don't have a good story uh, to share with people on your podcast, you can have all the great technical stuff. You can have a great mic and great editing. So I spent a lot of time with story. And you just have no idea how it goes. But the students do evaluations. Like, they have to do evaluations. And um, so I said, like, two classes to the end. I'm like, I said to my wife, who's also a teacher, I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I have no idea. Because I usually do well in evaluations. And I was like, I'm a little nervous. And I hadn't taught a podcasting class before either. So, uh, but I did great. It was a, it was a really nice, pleasant surprise at the end. And um, four of the students took a class I'm teaching now at the university on social media. So if you get a group of people to, you know, to move with you, that's a good sign. Uh, the evaluations were really good. And, uh, and the podcast, that's the best thing, was the podcasts were so cool. And I really, I don't know about you, but some students like a professor who is really, this is what you do, then you do this, then you do that. And I'm much more experiential. I, when I teach, I like to let people bring what they have to the table, much actually like your podcast. You, you, I really love the vibe of this podcast. It's kind of open. You never know where it's going to go. My classes are a bit like that, a bit more uh, jazz than, uh, than sort of classical, you know? So this podcasts were great. I had no idea what I was going to get. I let them do whatever they want. Um, some of the content was inappropriate, like it could not be the university wouldn't let me put it up on air because the students were telling these, you know, drunken stories, but with a purpose. And there was a really good podcast about, um, it was all designed for people. I forget what it was called, but it was all for people who'd worked in uh, minimum wage jobs in the serving industry. So they would be people who worked at McDonald's, people who worked at restaurants and, and they had a great tagline about, you know, so take off your badge and settle down. It's and I'm take off your badge. And it's of course that crazy name tag that you have to wear when you're in that industry. And there was another podcast about, it was called, it was kind of like two broke college girls or something. And I said to them afterwards, I said, you know, this is a brand that I don't see existing anywhere. 
And you could probably get something going here because they were funny. They actually went into the dollar store and said, oh, look, you can get, you know, uh, beefaroni here for 88 cents instead of $1.50 at the grocery store. And they just had this crazy attitude. They went to Walmart. They compared Walmart to the dollar store. And and they used some of the uh, deal apps, some of the grocery store deal apps. And it was really good. They did All the students had to do two 15-minute episodes. Uh, I had them do an interview. So they had to do a, like a long-form interview. They also had to do a, a different scene. Like each of the episodes had to have a scene with the beginning, middle, end in it. So uh, anyway, yeah, it, I think it went pretty well. Thanks. thanks for. I don't know if I'd do it again because it was so much work. But uh, it was good fun. Yeah, I think it's good practice. I did a class at uh, General Assembly, which is like a co- sort of like a co-working space, but they teach all classes about digital marketing, programming, uh, UX, UI design, uh, and I'm sure they're getting into some maybe probably Facebook ads or anything related to the digital marketing world. And I reached out because there was no podcasting class and a friend of mine had just given a talk there. I said, hey, do you have do you have anyone doing podcasting? He said, no. So they let me do the first one, which is a two-hour class. And then they have different formats. They also have a boot camp, which is two days. So I'm in discussions with them to, since the, it seems like the, the students were happy with what we put on. Uh, and I got good feedback that they might invite me back for that. Oh, way to go. Yeah. How many students in the group? Uh, there was 10. Oh, cool. And yeah. did they have to bring their own laptops or how did you figure that all out? No, I had, it was really podcasting 101. And, obvi- right. and, and as you might imagine, it's really hard to cram everything you need to know about podcasting into one class and take into account all the different uh, stages at where people are at. M- the sure. most, most of them hadn't started. There's a couple who had, so I tried to cover everything and I'm actually going to follow up. I've got their emails to see if there's ways to continue the uh, education with them. But I am working on a video course as well because I, I want to be able to have something that's, that I can offer people that's full, you know, maybe six week course that's soup to nuts, everything I've learned so far from podcast junkies and from working with clients. Way to go. Uh, that is, I think there's a need for that, for sure. I, what, what I'm going to do a little bit differently is not targeted at the super beginner. I think uh, it's called Podcasting for Thought Leaders, and I want it more to be for folks who probably have already a successful business and, and see uh, podcasting as an extension of their marketing. And yeah, they, they, yeah. May, they may not even want to take the class. They may want to send someone on their team to take the class. It's like, hey, learn this, and then we can incorporate it into our team and what we do. I love the title. Podcasting for Thought Leaders is an excellent, excellent title. And obviously, I grabbed the domain name already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, otherwise, you wouldn't be telling me. Hey, forgive me. If you hear, uh, if you hear me clinking, I've got uh, a cup of tea going here. I'm kind of, I, I, uh, I drink a lot of tea sometimes, and uh, and my the sponsor of my podcast happens to be a tea sommelier. <laughs> I was just about to say, is that your way of sneaking in chakra teas? <laughs> no, it, it wasn't initially. Because I'm making noise and I'm kind of relaxed and I'm, um, I was up late last night, so I need the caffeine hit. I think that's what it comes down to, but no, no, that's all right. I mean, I, I know my shore headphones are, are really oh, sensitive, yeah. so I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, but I'm so, not hearing yeah. <laughs> some product placement. I heard on your last podcast, you were, you had to deal with sure. And that's an SM seven B I could see, isn't it? It, yes, sounds, it is. I'm getting a little more low end. It sounds really good, Harry. And it's the same mic we use at our, it's, so I also teach in the journalism program. It's a master's of journalism. And in our radio studio, the SM7Bs, I wish I had one. I can't afford one. It's like, I'm not, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't need it that badly. It only took me two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. No, they're great. They're great stuff. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting, this, this, I don't, I wouldn't call it an obsession, but there's a lot of podcasters who think about that from day one and the who am I going to attract and where is there going to be a fit? And I think 
if you're consistent with your theme, your topic, your message, and you, you start to build an audience, I, I don't think it's as easy as if you build it, they will come. But I think you'll naturally start to think of relationships that make sense for your show. And you'll start to align yourselves and and you know put people in your path maybe who can who know, who are two degrees of separation away from someone who could help you on your show. So I think for people out there that are still wondering if if that model would fit, or if there's a sponsor that would fit, I think if they if they just let people know they're looking and if they you know continue to reach out, I uh, I imagine you know they'll have luck. If if the sponsor feels like it's a, it's a really good fit, I think it's a matter of just making the right pitch. I've got three sponsors who do who take care of me relatively well, and none of them have ever really dug down into the numbers. It's all about the relationship and, as you said, what I do, what I offer them. And the point you made there, I'm amazed the, the second sponsor I ever uh, secured was because I just mentioned that on the podcast. I don't know why it had never occurred to me, but I have Karen Hartwick who sells tea. She goes around the world and, you know, sells it, picks it up and then sells it. And then one day I said, oh, I'm looking for another sponsor if anyone's, and I literally got an email from someone who said, hey, we're a digital design firm. We're interested in artists. That's the sector that I work in. And uh, we'd like to sponsor your podcast. And then, and then the third podcast sponsor that I got, again, I love it because none of them I've ever had to really go out and secure. One of my sponsors was at a big conference in Toronto and, and I'm Canadian. We didn't mention that I'm in Canada. So in Toronto is like probably the fifth or sixth largest media market in North America. It's a big city. So they were at one of these big conferences and the concept came up about there's not enough Canadian podcast advertisers. You know, there's a lot of podcasts, but we, we don't have, you know, all those ones that don't have to give you the list. So I just tweeted. I said, I'm so uh, um, she tweeted me. She goes, hey, Keith, you'd be interested in this. We need more Canadian podcast sponsors. So I just said, hey, thanks. I'm really lucky to have had two great sponsors with me for over three years each, just sharing the love. And then I, from that tweet, someone came up and said, hey, we're trying to reach the audience you've got. Let's talk. And I secured them as a sponsor too. So yeah, like just being open to those kind of experiences and letting people, and I didn't have numbers. Like the first time I got a podcast sponsor, uh, it was my, this woman who sells tea. I buy tea from her. I mean, there are a lot. <laughs> it's like, like a drug dealer basically, but it's legal, right? <laughs> so... I, I, I thought she was pretty cool and she had a really progressive thinking business. You know, she makes teas based on your chakras. And I said, hey, I'm starting a podcast. Do you want to sponsor it? And she goes, sure. How much? Harry, I hadn't even got that far. I had no idea. But I've learned enough that you always have to be ready to close. Like if someone says they're going to give you money, oh, yeah. you have to be ready to take that money. Don't get back to them. Like you yeah. gotta, there's some energy there. So all I could think of was, wow, I'd really like uh, uh, the SM7, the uh, Zoom, SM7 or SM6, whatever that is. The 6, yeah, I've got the Zoom 6. And I just said, uh, yeah, SM7, that's, that's your mic. I just said whatever it was, four or 500 bucks. And she's like, okay. And the, my first thought is, shoot, I'm probably going to got more out of her. Whenever they answer that quickly, you're like, oh man, I could have gotten more. I know, I know, but... Anyway, so that's the good news there is that, you know, just if you just put it out, it it, it does happen. It, it can be organic. And again, she didn't ask how many. She'd heard the podcast. She'd never asked how many listeners I have. She just liked what I was doing, you know. Did you do it? Did you go into details later about specific episodes, how long the run would be? No, uh, no. I just said, you know, come on. My first, I just said, you're in for a year. You're in for a year. Uh, every So I do one roughly every two two to three weeks and uh that's all i that's all i gave her i'm getting to the point where i have to be careful now so i'm actually so the last sponsor i just said you get 12 episodes uh, and then we can renegotiate because i have i have said so there's a bit more demand now and i don't want to have more than two ads so um 
that's kind of what I'm doing now. I haven't really figured it out, but I just said 12 and then we'll renegotiate. Yeah, I know. It's, we usually, I, I mean, I usually don't go into too too much in, in terms of tactics around podcasting, but I think this is an interesting one because the, you know, I speak to podcasters and it's always top of mind for people. So I think at any point where we can shine a little bit of light on this, so it's not so, you know, black box and mysterious and totally mysterious yeah and people don't like you said you were at the point where you didn't know what to say and and i think having a number in your mind even if you're a year away from a sponsor is just nice because like you said someone may cross your path someone may find your show and even think about it i I like to to give guidance and tell people to think about it on a per um, month basis and keep the math really easy i had someone I'm working with who just had this crazy rate sheet and I'm like, you're totally confusing people. Just tell them $500 an episode, you know, or, you know, cause she's working with higher retail brands and she's in the fitness space. And, you know, I said, just tell them it's two grand a month and it's mm-hmm. uh, a three month commitment and you'll give them a discount if they, you know, if they sign today and, and the prices are going to go up next season, you know, just keep it real. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's what I did with Karen first. So I gave her that 600 bucks for the first, the first season. And then the second year, you know, the price definitely went up like it's but she was happy. So and she's been with me since then. So, yeah, it's it was, you know, and I don't regret giving her that first year because I was just and once you have a sponsor, it's easier to get other ones. Yeah. And, and I know for whatever I worked out with Shore, I mean, I'm just I love the product. So I don't get, really get tired of talking about it. So they probably get the, the mini rolls sprinkled in throughout the episodes as well. Yeah, and, I, and I'm drinking her tea like I drink her tea. So, you know, and I, and I help spread the love whenever I can. Yeah. So that you like to see them. And yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you know what? Here's the other thing. If you if you only have advertisers who you generally believe in, they're gonna get better results. Yeah. Because they they're they're they they're part of your holistic ecosystem, right? So like don't go to someone whose product anyway, we could just go on. It doesn't really matter. So uh closing out the the class, did you say you are gonna do more of those or, or do you do you like teaching on that? They subject? asked they asked me to do it again. It was just a uh, Harry, it was a lot, a lot of work. Uh, and it's, you know, I'm, uh, and it's a university where most professors assign three papers and some sort of final thing. I had the students doing a lot of recording, uh, introducing them to gear and then going over their recordings to make sure the levels were okay. And so I could, I don't know, for now I said I wasn't going to do it again. Um, and they found someone else to teach it. Uh, I, I might or might not. I, I, I just, and part of what I struggle with my wife was I really want to give them the best experience possible and she's like you don't have to like they're not going to know if you don't give them because all they know is what you've taught them so don't worry about what you're not going to teach them if you make it easier for yourself you know what i mean yeah i think in the beginning we get in our own way because we we know everything everything yeah and we think we need to uh, this is something i learned from my my coach and he said uh you don't teach them everything and you have to have this mindset of um not just in case learning, you know, where from, in, well, if you, if you flip, if you flip it for a second where you're always trying to learn something and you're an entrepreneur and you're like, oh, I got to learn this digital marketing and learn website design, I got to learn photography, I got to learn videography. And that's like, you know, just in case learning. He said, what's more important is just in time learning where what is the one thing I need to know to, so that I can take the next actionable step. So when I flip that and I put myself um, in, in their shoes, I'm like, what do I need to teach them so that they can move forward and feel like they're making progress and not feel overwhelmed exactly yeah that's great just in time learning i like that so uh your podcast started in 2013 yeah i started yeah i I, have been at it for a while 
And uh, what was interesting is you had uh, a conversation with someone about the origins of the name. If you could tell the story about that. So I was looking for a name for the podcast. And um, also, for those who don't know, it's called The Inadequate Life. <laughs> the Inadequate Life. And most people go, oh, that's a horrible name. And I keep thinking about changing it because it doesn't really do well in search. But I love it. It's a, it's a quote. And of course, I love it. I came up with it. It's a, <laughs> it's a quote from Bertolt Brecht, who's a super uh, well-respected playwright and philosopher from Germany in the 30s. Uh, and um, the full line is, fear not death, but rather the inadequate life. And I think uh, for creative people who, and again, my, I interview creative people who, whose only source of income or primary source of income is their creative muse. In other words, if they got sick, they wouldn't get a pension or benefits. Uh, if, if they can't come up with a new play or if they can't land a new role or direct or come up with a new lighting design for someone. So these are people who rely. And, and there's a sense of in that business, you're only as good as your last project, right? It's like Hollywood. So the inadequacy, so a lot of times those people feel when they're going through life, and I certainly do, you just feel inadequate. So when I saw the Brecht quote, so it speaks to the folks, it's a bit too inside baseball, I guess, but I really like the uh, the inadequate life. I like that. I like the Brecht reference. So, performers podcast is out there. Like I should really just call it the performers podcast. So it's because it's all about the performing arts. And my buddies are like, what are you nuts? That sounds so bogus. I'm like, yeah, but I get probably more search engine traffic. The other thing you can do, and uh, it seems like we're, we're, we're heavy on tactics this episode. <laughs> so, maybe, so maybe we'll, no, this is great. I think, uh, you know, it, it just eb, you know, ebbs and flows. But something that I uh, picked up recently, I, I subscribed to Cliff Ravenscraft's newsletter. And one of sure. his tips uh, recently was this idea of just putting more effort into the description field and the author field. But right. not, but not in the stuffing, spammy way, as people used to do in the in the past, because they were just throwing, you know, for people who like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss, they'll love this show, even though they've never interviewed those people. They're just trying to get <laughs> their their traffic. But what I think is valuable is if you describe the name of the show, so the inadequate life, and I think. Uh, you have a, another sentence. Yeah, my tagline is a podcast about the creative process. What is it? Jeez. My a podcast about the creative process and people whose lives depend upon it. That's what it is. So the only suggestion there would be to maybe tweak it in a way to, to and replace some of those words with something that people would actually be searching for. Right, like performing arts. Yeah, yeah. performing. And then you could say in your title, you could say Keith Tomasek. Uh, professor, podcast host. So you can find a way to to use some of that to uh, put on you know what it is you do to, and mm. what you're doing is you're describing to people, not you know bragging about your title, but you're again that's a searchable field. So you can use that to your advantage. I think I have podcast host and podcast marketing strategist or something like that. So yeah, that's something that I thought was really um, insightful. And it's something that I, I immediately went back to my clients and I revisited all their shows. And I'm like, okay, you, you've got just a, your title and your name. Let's do something there. And, uh, hmm. and I yeah, think this is super helpful. Yeah, I think anything that could move the needle a little bit. I've always been of that mindset because I, I, I don't ever think that I've been able to point to one thing where I'm like, this is the one source for my podcast where I got you know, thousands of downloads because I did this one tip. And I, I think it's an incremental thing across, you know, it's, it's the t-shirts, it's the Instagram posts, it's, the, it's these interviews, it's totally following up with my guests. It's, you know, it's just figuring, sending out the newsletter, it's tweeting about it. It's like everything in conjunction, I think helps to every little bit like raises, raises the, the, the level. 
And and uh, uh, tip of the hat to uh, Corey Coates and Jessica Rhodes. They're I think they're working on their next season of the podcast producers. And I think I saw something on Facebook that they're doing this research and they're finding the number one thing that drives people to listen to podcasts is someone else, a voice to voice, face to face, saying, "Hey, I heard this podcast. You've got to listen to it." Yeah. Which I I totally believe. I absolutely believe that. So, as you started, did you have something in mind? Uh, in terms of the, I always wonder when you know when people start their show what what drives them, and and I'm wondering yeah, as you, I was s- lonely. <laughs> I was a lonely man, Harry. <laughs> that works. <laughs> and now you're not lonely anymore. I was a lonely man. I, I moved away from big city. I used to work in Toronto. You know, I was a, a TV producer and, and did all kinds of things in film, and and I I kind of left it all uh, for a couple of reasons. And one of them was I wanted to start a family, and I couldn't imagine. My, I grew up in a small town, and I couldn't imagine myself starting a family. And in, in, and I lived like right downtown. My apartment was the size of this this little bedroom that I'm in now. Uh, anyway. So I came to London, Ontario. I'm in between Detroit and Toronto, two hours from either one. And I was going cra- like literally going crazy because uh, I didn't have my tribe. I was away from my tribe. So one of the things I did was I just said, hey, I'm going to do this podcast and talk to theater people and performing artists. And um, I was also really inspired by Mark Maron. Like, you know, the comedian, Mark, yeah. you know, <laughs> Mark Maron, that guy. Uh, yeah, that guy. So in the 90s, the, when the, I guy, produce- the guy who uses this mic. The, yeah, for sure. M7B. <laughs> when I he does too. When I was um, uh, a TV producer, I used to work with comedians. So I brought up Ray Romano from uh, New York. I brought up Louis C.K. in the '90s, like before Louis C.K. was Louis C.K. And I'm, you know, so proud to have had these uh, opportunities to meet and work with these people. He was just, anyway, he was so just I, Louis at the time. Yeah. So I brought up uh, I brought up Marin, and uh, and he did a set on the show that I produced, and uh, and he was fabulous. Like he kicked it on the set, on the show. And then afterwards he was going to a club date and, and he's like, oh, you got to come to the club. And I'm like, sure. So I went with a date, a woman I didn't know very well. She was a publicist. You know, that's, that was my world. That was working all the time. I only knew my, my colleagues and, and publicists who'd bring me guests. Anyway, so we go to see the comedy uh, club and it was classic Mark Marin. He was ranting about religion and like nobody was laughing, but mm. he was really getting it out there. And I was dying laughing because I loved it. When when you've been exposed to comedy, all of a sudden your barometer really changes. So I was just pissing myself laughing. And this poor woman, I'm like, well, I guess she's off my list because I really like a woman with a sense of humor. That's part of the reason I married my wife. She's got a great sense of humor. Anyway, so I had this really good relationship with Marin, And then it kind of disappeared. I was in the Middle East and he was um, doing Air America. And then when he started doing the podcast, I tuned in right away and I'm like, I could almost hear some of my middle-aged male angst in his. If you listen to the early ones, there's a lot of middle-aged male angst and self-discovery, and he was lost. And and I kind of had that vibe too. Um, so the podcast was a great chance for me to reconnect with my tribe, and it's and it's it's have I haven't stopped because it's been a success. Do you have stories of relationships that have deepened as a result of the show? Like personal relationship, personal relationships with guests, and yeah. something like that. Let me think off the top of my head. Um, I kind of take that stuff for granted. Let me. Uh, yeah. I mean, the biggest one it would be Shalina Kennedy, who's currently starring as Carol King on Broadway in the Carol King story. Um, so I interviewed her years ago uh, on the podcast, and we had an immediate connection before she was a big deal on Broadway. And. Um, 
Yeah, Broadway was just, you know, like everyone I interviewed there on the stage that she was interested in being there, but she was definitely not there. And then I just followed her career. And then I interviewed her just a little while ago, when she, uh, about six months ago, because I wanted to see the difference from the first time I interviewed her to now. And it was a, a fabulous interview with uh, Shalina. And uh, I just I was in touch with her at uh, Christmas. I was going to take my wife up to New York to go and see her on Broadway because we haven't seen the Broadway show yet. And we didn't go. And it turns out now Shalina's coming back to Toronto. So we'll get to see her in Toronto. And so that's a great example of someone who who was at that level that I was hoping to connect with and totally have. And, and we're Facebook friends. And, you know, if I, uh, I, I, I did a podcast episode with a woman who is, um, she's a company member. So she's not on stage. She's like an ensemble member. And Shalina helped me spread the word about that podcast to other aunts. There's a whole community of actors and actresses in New York who don't necessarily, they don't, they're working, but they aren't necessarily stars or even secondary characters. They're ensemble members. And there's a big, there's a podcast called The Ensemblist. So Shalina was super helpful in helping me spread the word about this story, which is a great story. Imagine being backstage at a theater every night and you almost never get to perform, you know, or if you do, you have a teeny little role. It's, it was a great, really one of my favorite episodes, actually. And her, I got to, well, there's another person. So she, I interviewed her once when she was a swing. So she wasn't even on stage. She was, all she was do would sit around and hope to get on. So in a whole season, she'd get on once or twice, but she had to know like eight different parts. Uh, then I interviewed her, Bethany to Bethany Kovarik, two years later when she had a small part, but she was in a chorus line and she, her role got cut at about a third of the, of the player after the beginning. So again, she's not full company member. This year, she's going to be her first year coming up in, at the Stratford Festival. It's going to be her first year on stage for the whole show, for the whole year. Uh, so, yeah, we've had, and I just helped her. She's applying for a green card to go work in uh, New York as a dancer, and I helped her do that. So, yeah, for sure, it's, it's a good question. I, I kind of forgot about That's just two examples of, uh, yeah, uh, people that sort of I helped out and they helped me out. And it was an honor to help Bethany with her green card application. I mean, she's a fabulous dancer. You've got performing in your background as well. Yeah, I studied theater when I was a kid. I was never a great actor. Uh, I was a, a comedian and a magician when I was young. That was something that I was really drawn to. So I used to do birthday party magic and um, corporate gigs and all and up until around my 20s, uh, mid-20s or so. And then I started working uh, as a TV producer. <laughs> I kind of made that shift. And now I have a little kid. So like I did a magic show for his his. Uh, his uh, swimming pool. I did, and I did a show to raise some money in his, his uh, when he was in grade one. I do every now and then. I'll pull out some old tire tricks and do something. But yeah, I, haven't, I don't really perform much anymore. Do you find that there's a correlation between what you've learned, those skills, and how you've been able to translate them into podcasting? Yeah, it's all about holding an audience, right? It's all about okay, well, and and the concept of a show, the beginning of a show, the end of a show, the middle of a show, where you're going, and and to be honest, I'm a better uh, show producer than I am a show host. You know, in in my career, as I worked in radio before I worked in TV, and I worked on popular radio programs, I would write a ton of this, you know, a ton of content for radio hosts and interviews, and and now that I'm doing my own. I haven't, I'm only at episode number 63 and I still haven't figured out my own voice, if you will. It's, it's still a work in progress to figure out what do I have to say? And that's what Marin is so good at, Mark Marin. He's got such a strong voice. Uh, you know who he is, you know his life. Um, you know, so I'm still trying to figure that out. It's hard. It's easier for me to produce someone else's stuff than it is for me to do my own. Maybe we can dive into that a little bit because you, 
most podcasters who are listening and most who are going to get started, they have to wear all the hats. You know, they have to do every single thing. And, and a lot of it sometimes doesn't have to do anything with podcasting, which is what drives them crazy. They have to host files and they have to create a website and they have to do social media. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. people just want to get on the mic and talk. And yeah, and so, exactly. So you mentioned um, this idea of being a better producer than you are a host, but given that, um, a lot of us are are wearing this that both of those hats. Can you delineate those specific roles, how you see them differently, and maybe what, as a solo podcaster, we could do to incorporate them both? Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example. In in the last episode that I put up, I interview one of Canada's most successful uh, older actors. So he's over sixty, and he's a Shakespearean actor, and he's playing Henry the Eighth in uh, in a, a new play all about Henry the Eighth's last wife. The play is called The Last Wife. And in the interview with him, we talk about Henry, and someone says, "Hey, was there any similarities between your character Henry and Donald Trump?" And we get a little bit political and. We talk about Henry's role in, in um, allowing women to become uh, the ruler of a land because before that, a woman could never have been a ruler in England. And at no point in the podcast do I say he's playing Henry VIII. <laughs> I'm like, how did I miss that? Well, I set him up. I, you know, I'm doing an interview with this guy. He's playing this play. You know, and I and I write this stuff and I give myself a day. I always write my intros and, and I come back a day later and I read through them. But because I know he's playing Henry VIII, and I think if you don't know he's playing Henry VIII, you could kind of figure it out. But if I would have, you know, in the old days when I was working in radio, everything would be vetted by two people. So we'd write it all down. Two writers would write it all down or in TV as well. Then we'd read through it and you could ask each other questions. One person had written it. The other person was seeing it cold for the first time. And then we'd have a third person, uh, the host, ultimately read it and ask, that doesn't make sense. Or I'd never say that. So you have to really step outside of your comfort zone and go, okay, what does the audience need to know to make this information the best and most useful experience for them. And um, it, it's not an easy thing to do, but adding context at the beginning of a scene or beginning of an interview is so, so important. So what does the audience need to know so that this can be a good experience for them? And, and, and am I talking in any kind of jargon that they're not going to get? Yeah. So if I could redo it, and I and then you could, you kind of make mistakes and you rationalize in your head. Well, I rationalized it by in the text that accompanies the podcast. So if you're on iTunes or if you're in your pod app, it says uh, Joseph Ziegler plays Henry VIII. That's not really good. But if I were to do it again, I'd definitely say he plays Henry VIII in this play. So when we're just using the term Henry, the audience would understand. Oh, it's Henry VIII. We, we get so concerned about you know sometimes getting it out there or not not focused or even you're in, if you're getting started, you just have your stock questions and you want to just race through them and, and and every podcaster in the beginning works through that but i think there's we should always be looking for ways to try to improve oh the, my god oh, for sure and it's something in, in my mind i studied acting as well and it's one of those things that you, you never you'll never perfect it and it's just but you'll always be on this this path to just like you know elevate your performance if you will behind the mic so that you mm -hmm. can you can give a better show to your audience and i think if you took each episode almost you know putting my acting hat on if you took it as a performance and you're in a theater and every night i imagine every night they come out they're like what can i do to like even make it a a smidge like better than i did before or do something different than i did before because you know this is no two performances are the same if you you know if you step a foot in the river at, you know at two different it's never the same river right so mm-hmm I think there's, that's, a, that's a, a, a good mindset to have that podcasters sh should have. And, and 
it will just over time improve the quality of your show. Yeah, really try to add before you get to whatever it is. I'm just talking about for interview, you know, scenes like the startup podcast. It's a whole different vibe. But this applies as well. Anything you can do to prepare your audience for what is about to come. And even in the questions, sometimes you'll ask a question, you know, you can ask a question and you can preface the question with a fact that's going to help give the answer some context. You know, you're an American actor. What was it like the first time you played Willie Loman? It's a great American story, but we're in Canada. So if I would have just said, you know, what was it like to play Willie Loman? My audience might not have known he's an American and they might not have appreciated how being an American informed his uh, his um, approach to the text. So and you can do that. You know, you're you're a stockbroker. There's different kinds of you're a value stockbroker. You know, if you just find the right adjectives and right sort of clauses before you get to the question, you can make it uh, much more approachable and useful for the audience for sure. Yeah, I think it's this mindset of the eternal student, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the curiosity. And be, and never be embarrassed to ask a question. Like, there's no dumb questions. Never be embarrassed. Because if your question is basic and simple, it's probably a question that the audience has as well. And, and you're probably, I mean, your job is really to, you know, be vicariously the person asking the questions for the person at home who's listening. So if you have a question, uh, and don't hesitate to be really simple and be like, really basic with the questions initially or at at any point in the interview where that needs to actually happen. If you're doing a reset, you know, you get to the point and you're finished the first segment. Now we're going to talk about your personal life versus your professional life. Okay, let's talk about your personal life and one or two lines that you have up your sleeve to set that up and then away you go. How, How have you found over time that you've improved as a host? Oh, man, I have to shut up a lot more still. It's it's so hard for me when I'm part of the way I get stuff out of people is by because I do get good stuff out of people. That's that's why I was successful on TV is by egging them on with my. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh OK. Wow. Like I'll be really present. Uh, and that's great when you're talking to someone just if it's the two of you. But there's an audience there. It kind of becomes annoying to the audience. So I'm really trying to find a balance between staying silent when someone is answering a question and giving them the verbal cues, because most of the interviews I do face-to-face, where I try to do as many of them as I can face-to-face, uh, just giving those cues to, to sort of keep going, tell me more, and just staying silent, waiting after they say the answer. You just hang back, because they might say something else. And just let that be comfortable with that blank space is really super important. Yeah, I think anyone that, uh, and listeners have heard this uh, ad nauseum at this point, but this idea of leaving space in between, because it's just... You need to give people time to formulate a thought in their head. And a lot of times, if, you, if you're asking the right question as well, then that's why I love the, the video, because you can see them thinking. You can see them saying, right. oh, I've never, you know, they, put, they end up put their hand to their face or, you know, they, you can see their eyes roll up and they're, and they're just processing and processing. And if, you're, if you don't have that video, you're sitting on the other side and you're saying, why won't they answer, you know, why won't they answer the question? Or, oh, this dead space is horrible. And, and it's a podcast. We're not live on the air. So worst case scenario, you just c- cut a bit of that space out to just make it seem a bit more uh, conversational. But I think, uh, you know, to your point, it just bears repeating. Just let it, let it flow on its, on its own merits. Yeah, yeah. So these, so those are, you know, and I've, so I've learned that for sure over time, but tell you something just to flip it over on you, Harry, one of the things I I'm terrible at is consistency. Like I just can't seem, and I, I've got probably three or four episodes in the can ready to go. And, but I really struggle to get them out on a regular basis. And I know that's one of the most important things people can do. And I'm not sure what it is about my own mindset that is preventing me from 
getting them out there that regularly. Uh, I just hired uh, one of my former students to edit. So my process is I'll do the podcast. I'll go and talk to someone for an hour and then I'll give it to her and I don't give her any instructions. And I say, just get rid of 15 minutes and then it's 45 and then I'll play with it and bring it down even a little more. So I spend way too much. I love editing. I love playing with, I used to edit with tape and I just love what you can do in editing. So I edit uh, way too much. I should probably publish (laughs) more, more, you know, (laughs) what were you editing on tape? When I worked in radio. So my first job in radio was, you know, when there was no digital audio. Like, that's how old I am. So it was a it was a Saturday afternoon, two-hour radio program, and we'd interview. We what, tend to focus, it was kind of like This American Life, but just interviews. So we'd interview the crazy dog sled operator. We'd uh, interview the crazy guy who had organized um, lawnmower races in his town where he could get everyone with their lawnmower tractors, and they had, you know, that kind of stuff. And then we also make stuff up. So we had we'd interview Elvis every now and then from the dead, and uh, it was one of the most popular radio shows in Canada because it was totally irreverent, and it had a voice. Like you knew if he, we were going to have someone on, what you the, the, it wouldn't be a regular interview. It would be like, what is this guy going to say on that particular show? You know, and that's part of the problem with popular podcasts now is you're hearing some of the same people being interviewed by different podcasters, and they're just given the same answers. And it's like, well, what are you as a podcast host bringing? to the questions how are you putting your own stamp on it and making it different and uh, so my thing i kind of follow marin's lead and no one else is doing it in canada i really drill into people's personal lives and i talk about my own life and problems that i'm having and try to get by telling them about my problems and then i cut all my stuff out (laughs) 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 so there's so it does you know that's not true i actually do leave my own personal foibles in there for sure what's a a a recent revelation from your show that uh, as you were um revealing it you're wondering if it, it, it might have been just a bit too much yeah i still i have crohn's disease i've got I've, uh, crohn's disease like is an inflammatory bowel condition i've had it since i was 16 um and i've lived really well with it um and it's never been a huge problem i've only had two surgeries in my life and um i just but i may i maintain a really strict diet and a, and a healthy lifestyle and that's part of the reason i get out of the rat race of producing television because i was working like a dog uh, and didn't have a social life. I was actually healthy, but I didn't have a social life at all and a family life. Um, so yeah, I'm still just coming to terms with that. Actually, it's, I feel a bit awkward putting it out there, but and I think at some point I might do a podcast about that community. But I'm not. I wish I had the guts to actually do that, but I don't quite yet. And I'm not sure what I would bring to the table yet either, to be honest. Why do you say you don't have the guts? Because I don't like because uh, I'd have to really dig into my own personal life about dealing with uh, a chronic disease, which, you know, you deal with sort of every day or every other, you know, once a week, there's something, you know, oh, I can't eat that. Oh, yeah. I'm the guy with Crohn's disease, you know, yeah, I don't eat. I don't eat. You know, if I'm working with a group of folks and they go to a fast food restaurant, like I just can't go there. So, you know, there's a lot of sort of societal things that happen, like when we were at podcast uh, movement. <laughs> You know, I would go to Whole Foods because that was the only place I could get close by that I could get good food. But I'll tell you, I met one of the greatest people there because we were we were at uh, one of the sessions and he had a Whole Foods drink. And I'm like, there's a Whole Foods around here because that's my Mecca. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. So we actually became friends because of our interest in, you know, healthy eating. So it, it, it works both ways. Right. Do you want to give him a shout out? It's Brock. <laughs> Brock. Hey, Brock. <laughs> Brock Skywalker. He's a podcast. I'm not going to say who he produces for. He produces a really, like a podcast that gets millions of downloads a month. And uh, yeah, he's, and he, he came into my class via Skype and did a, uh, I had the students do some work and he sort of evaluated it. And it was a great, uh, a great session, actually. Talk about a great stage name. 
Brock <laughs> Brock Skywalker. <laughs> so you mentioned something about uh, you know this discussion about Crohn's and this idea that it's like societally like not appropriate for people to discuss things. I I, I find that like the rules seem to be changing about what is and is not societally uh, appropriate, and I think by virtue of us speaking out, we're sort of defining what the rules are and you know who made these rules up like who said we can't talk about this stuff who said we can't curse on a podcast who said you know we can't talk about uh taboo topics because i think people are hungry to hear someone oh, yeah. Yeah. talk about something that's relative to them that they can connect with that speaks to the challenges they're having and when they don't hear it they have to go look for it and google it and find it from some you know yeah. semi-credible sources and, yeah. and if it's someone that you've built a relationship with and th now they can that's like another layer that they can connect with you as a human being and, and i think that's the connection that's really forged that's really solid as opposed to just this surface oh i, I know him and I'm, I'm a fan of keith because i listen to his show but no now we have this other shared connection and just i get this like visual of like braid that just gets like connects you even on a deeper level Totally. And when I started the podcast, I'm a big fan about, I like I'm theater of the mind. I think theater of the mind is so important. So I would always say I'm recording in my suburban basement spare room, which is true, you know. And I can't, I can't tell you how many uh, people in my world were like, that sounds kind of discount. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I am recording in my suburban, my suburban basement spare room. So yeah, I kind of dropped it for a little while because I had to move. My mother-in-law moved in. So I did share that. Now, I never, uh, I was, you know, around comedy a lot of my life, and I never understood mother-in-law jokes until I had one. <laughs> that being said, and and she's in our bedroom now, so my wife and I moved in their house. We rearranged our whole house so we could have our mother. And it's a wonderful, she's a wonderful woman, and, and she's been great for our son and, and just for our lives. But I had to move out of my, which I had set up as my podcast studio. So this room I'm in now is a mess, and I'm in the process of fixing it up. So it's kind of cool. I get to start over again. But, yeah, that was part of the life that, that I do talk about online, my uh, my mother-in-law coming to join us. Was there ever a time in uh, any of the episodes where things got a little emotional on either side? Yeah, that's funny. I cried, like, for sure. Yeah, there's uh, an episode with Jillian Kiley. Jillian is the, um, holds one of the highest positions in the arts in Canada. She's the theater director at the National Arts Center in the capital in Ottawa. And she had done a uh, production of The Diary of Anne Frank, The Diary of Anne Frank, and... Um, my mother, uh, my father escaped, uh, the communists in Czechoslovakia and my mother, like her street was bombed in world war two. She was okay. And, uh, yeah, as Jillian talked about how she had brought in, um, a survivor from Germany, uh, it gets really, it gets really, cause this survived, this guy who survived world war two talks to the actors about what it was like to be in world war two and, and. One of the things that I always remember in the podcast is the first thing he did when he met the cast, he goes like, who plays, uh, who plays Anne Frank? And then the girl says, I do. And he says, uh, in the play, you believe that all people are good. I can tell you that's not true. And it just like floored everybody, right? Um, anyway, so that, it, the, and more comes out in that podcast. And yeah, I, she was almost crying and I was almost crying. It was really uh, moving. I'm, I'm getting chills just thinking about it now. Like, seriously, it was that. And the play, I mean, the Diary of Anne Frank, the production we saw was so evocative and so beautiful. Um, and that's the power of theater. To me, that's the power of theater. If it can make you just stop and go, 
we're just so lucky to live in this world where we don't have to worry about persecution, you know. Um, and I, like I said, my father, you know, he's a, a political refugee. And I think it's uh, it's definitely the power of, of podcasting as well because mm-hmm. it's just the intimacy of being able to share. You know, it's again something that's just repeated a lot. The fact that most eighty percent of podcasts are consumed on mobile devices, so that would they that lends itself to earbuds and just you know you feel like there's a story being told to you in an intimate fashion. And and I I think we don't want to lose sight of that. Um, or if it's podcasting, is it the power? Lo- the is power it, of the should we say lose sound of that? I don't know. <laughs> there you go. But you know, Alex Alex Bloomberg talks about this. Audio is the most primal sense. When we're in our mother's wombs, we can hear things. You know, there's the water gushing around, but you could, there's evidence that you can hear what's going on outside you. So it's the first of the senses to fully develop, and it, people say that it's still the one that is the most important in your in your creative and thought-making uh, process, for sure. I imagine you must have heard a lot of stories from your father. Were there any that resonated with you or that you still carry with you? No, yeah, there's only, because he only, he only really told me one or two. Um, so he, when he was in university, he was anti-communist and feared for his life and he so he really didn't talk about it much and i asked but that you know a lot of people don't especially from that generation don't want to share their 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 struggles and their pain and he talked about seeing someone that he knew being hung on a lamppost and set on fire wow in university yeah so he's young and he knew that he had to escape because he his life was threatened and so i remember that image i'll never forget that I remember the image of him, his mother had passed away when he was young. His mother, his, him approaching his father and saying, I'm escaping, I'm leaving. We're going to, me and two other guys, we're going on skis. If I don't make it, I might never see you again. Hmm. If I make it, I might never see you again because I won't feel comfortable coming back to this country. Uh, and the image of the three guys, there was a fourth guy who drove them to the woods. And then the three of them got out and skis and skied from Czechoslovakia to Germany. And then they were met in, in the German side and they were, uh, they were taken in and they were okay. And, and you know, they had freedom and safety. Uh, and then when I went back to Prague just before, just during the Velvet Revolution, uh, I met at the airport the fellow that drove my dad and the two other guys to the border to escape. And that guy, he remained. He didn't have the, the, uh, the wherewithal to escape. And Everything was taken from him. So he, had, he, was a, he came from a relatively upper middle class family. They had horse farms and, you know, a big property. All gone. The communists took it all. He lived in a small apartment. And he told me that he, would, like within the previous two years, had been approached by the, the um, intelligence bureau because they keep up on him because they kind of knew that he had done something, yeah. you know, 40 years previously. Uh, yeah, it was horrible, horrible. But how does it color how you live your life? Yeah, it, well, that it, it kind of made me realize that family is super important. Politics, uh, I'm a political animal. As I, I mean, I talked about politics earlier. Growing up in Montreal, I, you know, um, when I was young and, and, and uh, when I was probably 13 years old, we had this huge revolution in, in the province of Quebec, and there was this big fight between the English and the French-speaking communities. And uh, so, yeah, I'm political. I've, I've worked on three political campaigns in I've donated my time as a digital strategist. And for all, there's three different parties in, in, the, in the country here, three main parties. And I've worked for each of the parties. So I'm not necessarily partisan. I'm all about the best person for the best uh, job. Do you know what I mean? So 
Uh, and I, I, that's one of the things I don't like about politics. If you're a liberal, if you're a Democrat, you can only think this way. You know, yeah. if you're a Republican or a conservative here in Canada, you can only think this way. And on my area is less black and white and much more gray. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a label, and it there's no way that one label can accurately describe the nuances of like who we are as people because we could literally think one sliver of something that's in agreement with someone who think we have nothing in common with and i think if, if we just looked at it as the bigger picture as as the human beings that we are i think we'd, we'd be in a much better place and it's really promising when i talk to my students about politics because they don't feel like the 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 parties really represent them exactly to your point. So they don't feel like they're a conservative or a Republican. They don't feel like they're a liberal or a Democrat. And it'll be interesting to see. I think what's happening now in the U S particularly is going to politicize people more than it has recently. So you're going to see more movements, I believe. And I think it's going to be good for politics in the long run because people are going to realize, wow, I can't just sit back. Yeah. I have to get involved for whatever I believe in. It doesn't matter which side you're on. I think it's great when people get politicized. So thinking uh, about the topic of thoughts that uh, we feel are, are, are convictions in terms of the way we live our life, what's something that you've changed your mind about recently? What's something I've changed my mind? I don't eat eggs as much as I used to. <laughs> and is, there a re- is there a reason for that? Uh, yeah. yeah. I... Uh, Eggs are a wonderful source of protein, right? And they're the best. Like I can't, I don't eat cereal. I'm gluten-free, sugar-free. Uh, so I've, from all my life, I've had, most of my life, I've had about two or three eggs every morning uh, in an omelet, sometimes with cheese. And uh, I go see my doctor and she's like, wow, you've got the best cholesterol in the office. What are you doing? And, you know, there's this whole myth about eggs and cholesterol. But um, more recently, I became a little bit concerned about uh, prostate cancer because I'm a growing, I'm a guy growing old. And there's some research that says uh, there's a relationship between eggs and prostate cancer. I haven't dug in, in deep into it enough. But anything that you eat every day is probably not good. So I'm cutting back on, uh, I cut way back on the eggs. And I'm doing more of the fruit uh, smoothies in the morning, which uh, I'm kind of getting used to. But I really like, you know what I missed? This is now you're getting weird with me. (laughs) So my breakfast used to be three eggs with vegetables. So lima beans, cauliflower, you know, peas, broccoli, whatever I have, green beans. And I'd be chewing. Now I'm eating these shakes and I feel like I'm going to lose my ability to chew because all you do is swallow. It's ridiculous. And that's part of that's part of what's going on with the American diet. There's a great book by the former um, Surgeon General. Uh, what is it called? Salt, fat, sugar, or something like that. And he talks about how fast food has changed the amount of chewing that Americans do because people and people are lazy now. People don't like chewing, so the the fast food and processed food or companies are trying to make food softer, so there's less chewing. We're just not used to chewing. So when I was when I made that shift over to this morning ritual of these shakes, which are full of fiber and you know protein, but I don't have to. It was a really like wow, this is bizarre. I'm not chewing as much as I used to. <laughs> this is way too much information, Harry. This is like who cares about chewing? But that's just you know. one of the wonderful paths we uh, we we take on this show. Uh, well, yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I myself, I I eat eggs every day, almost every day, and we, they're we start, the best we, thing. Yeah. Eggs are so good for you. What I've started to do is actually uh, invest in higher quality eggs and you got to and you really notice like we have a farmer's market that comes here every tuesday and saturday and the eggs that we buy there they're like six dollars maybe seven dollars a dozen but i think at this point uh, it's all about 
having an abundance mindset and and this feeling of like I'm doing something that's good for the farmers and and when you crack open that egg and you see that yolk you, you know immediately it's something better because it's like so, it's like the t-shirt it's so <laughs> it's so bright orange um that you're like wow this is what a egg is supposed to look like it's supposed to look yeah. and it's flavorful like yeah. that's the other thing when you buy you know it costs more, but you are getting, you're supporting your local community and you're actually getting better, better flavor. So you can actually use less of them. I remember when I made that shift to the $6 eggs too, and it's, you get your head around it, you go, well, that's almost twice as much, but it tastes so much better. And so I've cut, not because of the cost, but just because of the health thing, I've tried to cut back a little bit. The other thing with the organic eggs is you're probably not getting antibiotics. Um, you know, factory farmed eggs have antibiotics in them. And if you're eating a lot of eggs, it's, you're going to get the antibiotics. If you're eating the organic local stuff, chances are you're not getting the antibiotics. So that's way better for you. See, this all comes from me having Crohn's disease. I spend a lot of time learning about food. And uh, and comes from me asking what you've changed your mind about recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. And what see, and this you're doing really well. Usually when I have interviews, I end up asking a lot of questions. So you've been doing a great job of because I've I'll, go ahead. I'm trying to keep you on your heels here. Yeah, all my life, my job has been to interview people. And you know, back in the day when I would go for job interviews, I'd say I'm not really very good at job interviews. And I honestly, most of the jobs I've gotten like the TV show that I produced for years, it's because they came to me. You know, when I was teaching at Western University, they had heard about what I did. They came to me. I'm just, I'm not really good. You're doing a great job of not, I haven't asked you a single question, really, yeah, I don't think. I appreciate that. Hey, here's another thing I did. I noticed you got the uh, the five o'clock shadow buzz going there, right? Yeah. So I had some headshots done for this new website I'm going to be creating. And, I, and one of my old friends from high school, the kind of person that'll tell you this, she goes, you got to get rid of that five o'clock shadow thing. That's so dated. So I'm wondering, there's my, are you, have you thought about that? Are you in 100%? No, this actually just went, this, I just started doing this probably three years ago. So up until, like for my, almost Me all too. my life, my whole yeah. adult life, no facial, because I don't grow it evenly. It's got, what's one of those that has like a hole in the, like if I gr try oh. to grow a full beard, you'll, there'll be like a little hole in the side. And yeah, I'm beard. not one of those guys that like, that actually has a five o'clock, you know, shadow at five o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It's a five day shadow. I wasn't trying to be fashionable either. She's like, well, just because Ryan Gosling has it, you don't have to have it. And I'm like, it's not it's not because of that. I just hate shaving. I don't enjoy. Yeah. And now and now the worst thing is now that I got rid of this the five o'clock buzz thing that I had, now I have to moisturize because I'm now I'm self-conscious. Oh, geez, I got to take care of my skin because I, I really want to just grow it again. What's uh, one most misunderstood thing about you? Uh, I, I'm trying to be warmer as an individual. I think people would think that I was aloof uh, sometimes, uh, and it's not because I don't care about people. It's just because I uh, I'm shy sometimes, you know. So sometimes in, in this kind of environment, I'm I'm fine, like in a one to one. But in a group setting, I kind of don't do as well. So I would just kind of be people would mistake my shyness for aloofness. Uh, yeah, for sure. Where's the shyness come from? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I, I can't honestly say. Uh, that's an interesting question to shyness. If you did know, what would you say? <laughs> Man, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, probably some sort of fear of saying, not saying the wrong thing, I don't think. Yeah, probably, I guess, fear of not fitting in, maybe something like that. Yeah. Which is, and that gets back to my podcast. I really wanted to find my tribe because I didn't fit. It took me a while to fit in in the community that I live in. So by podcasting, I found my tribe and I'm starting to find my tribe in the community here, but it's taken me a long time. Yeah. So not fitting in. So maybe the shyness is the fear of not fitting in. 
or not even realizing like I'm not an athlete. My wife's an athlete, a championship world champion tennis player. And I've had to try and fit into that world, which when I was a kid was not my world at all. And so it's been great to realize, hey, you know, what? I don't have to be good at sports for people who are good at sports to to to, to welcome me into their tribe. Because when you grew up as a kid, there's always that separation between the jocks and the artsy people. I was always part of the artsy people. Now I can get into the world of jocks and who cares? I'm totally good with it. Although my wife did give me a pair of sweatpants that were $75. And I'm like, I, I, who spends $75 on sweatpants? Like I kept a tag on because I was going to make her take them back. And she's finally like, take off the tag and wear the damn sweatpants. I bet you're pretty comfy. Yeah. Have you ever paid $75 for a pair of sweatpants? Uh, sweatpants, no. Well, come on. But she's an athlete. So that's, you know. That's yeah, interesting. That belief that you had or, or that that view of those, you know, that world, that that schism that, ex- that exists between like. The jocks and the, you know, yeah. it's classic. It's super classic. Yeah. Well, this was an uh, interesting conversation. <laughs> so which were you? Were you in the jock thing or the... No. Because you look like you could be a jock. I, uh, I sort of grew into my body after sophomore year. Um, and I didn't start hitting the gym until like maybe college. So, I mean, freshman year, I was tiny. I mean, I was like the kid you could fit in the locker. Yeah. And... and uh thankfully i had an older brother who was a year ahead of me so he sort of set the set the set the stage and i went to an old boys catholic high school so the hazing was prominent and you know they would just they were making kids doing crazy stuff and i think i got i got a pass me and my my best friend got a pass because he was with me and and i used to run track uh so i never got on the bus that was like leaving immediately after school i'd get on the later bus and so uh sort of made my way th- navigated my way through those murky waters but yeah i think um I, I just ran track in high school and i didn't really get into f- the fitness stuff uh, until much later on in, in life and i think i took up martial arts in my mid-30s but i think of you and partly because this is how i know you i think of you more as a creative guy than an athletic guy is that true or yeah yeah i mean for for me the music i've been fascinated with like electronic music and a dj mm-hmm. you know i bought my first turntables and, and i dj'd my high school dance so all right i was the dj in high school yeah. too the same exact thing yeah so we probably have more in common along those lines yeah than the, than the athletic side well it's been fascinating digging a little bit deeper hopefully uh we went somewhere you, you haven't been before and, and and i think people get to know a little bit more about uh keith oh you're very kind harry no thanks it was a good i love your podcast i love what you're doing i hope it's i hope it's going well for you it's been how where are you at now uh, this will be episode 120, I think, and that's this, pretty. And cool. April will be three years, and uh, it's been past. It's over past. It's past three years about when the idea was born because it was NMX in 2014 in January, so it's been definitely three years. It's just been incredible. I mean, I my I'm in business for myself because of it. I've met. I've got. Imagine all these hundred plus people I've spoken to. Some of them I'm really good friends with. I've just. I'm, my social circle is just completely changed. I'm, I've decided, you know, to take that Jim Rohn quote of you are the five people you most associate yourself with. And sure. I've, and I've yeah. looked at parts of my life that I want to improve and I, and I have decided, okay, I want to improve my entrepreneurial skills. Where can I hang out with the smartest entrepreneurs? And, you know, a lot of, um, you know, trying trial and error and, and and finding programs and spending the equivalent of probably an MBA on <laughs> digital, course, digital course, marketing yeah. courses yeah. and then trips and conferences and eventually just finding my home. And, and I'm, I've been able to find a couple of tribes, you know, with the podcasting, a lot of 
peer, peers who are doing the same thing and in, in the entrepreneurial space, people who run six and seven figure you know, businesses online that I did not know existed that I didn't even think was possible when I was sitting in my cubicle and it's just transformed the way I think. <laughs> sitting in my cubicle. I had one of the best cubicles in Toronto when I worked in America online and I didn't even know it. I had a corner cubicle with glass windows on both sides and I remember like I was new to that world and people would walk by and go, how come you got the fence? And I have no <laughs> idea. But hey, here's what I want to ask you and we'll let you go. But uh, this is important to me because I'm up in front of people talking. I've been teaching forever and before that I was you know doing comedy and stuff and I'm only starting to do more corporate training now. So I'm doing some social media uh, strategy sessions for salespeople and for nonprofit groups. And I heard you mention on the podcast that you went for some training. And I'm really curious what you got out of that. And was it was it full value? Do you know what I mean? Because I'd love to have that experience, I think. Yeah. So I went to a um I went to a conference. It's called Advance Your Reach. It's run by Pete Vargas. And it's a it's a one of those big conferences, a couple hundred people and they talked through it was two to three days three and a half days it was long and then they covered different modules aspects of how to speak on stage what you would say put they have this concept called a story braid um and learned a lot there but then there's an opportunity to go deeper and you pay for some additional training and so i really felt like 2017 was this idea i, I always try to have a keyword every year mm-hmm. in terms of um, my business and 2017 the word that just kept popping to mind was scale and I wanted mm-hmm. to just, how do I do more with my message? And it's just the idea of speaking is what came to mind. And so I signed up. There's a, several modules. The first one is about really refining what they call your proprietary process. And for me, that's I, I decided for me it was going to be a course. And so I was in Colorado Springs uh, last week, two-day intensive, just refining it. I know what I need to do. And then I've got two more modules coming up on actual story, what's called story, and the other one's called stage. And, and really, story is two days on refining your, 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 what you're going to say. I think they get it to a, a five-minute version, but you really, like, how you hit the heart, how you hit the hand. I, I, it's like head, heart, hands, I think is uh, I, a bit of how they teach. But, yeah, yeah. but it's one of those talks, and there were a lot of those talks where you hear people talk, and for five minutes, you're just absolutely riveted. It's one of those pin drop moments, and everyone's just totally focused on the speaker, and I'm seeing what's happening in the room, and I'm like, okay, if there's someone that can teach me how to do that, yeah. I, I want to learn because I want to, you know, just weave the story of how I got started and and you know where I was. And at 30, I was sleeping on a couch, wondering what what the ha- how the heck my life had ended up like that. So you know, there's these things, these snippets I can weave together, and and then when you do that, then they they help you with this other called stage and it's really just a whole marketing process of how you reach the speakers how you get how you tell people what it is you do how you collect the names after speaking and it's not all about the money because people think (sighs) people think oh i gotta get paid for the gig that literally there's four or five levers they talk about when you when you speak and the first is is getting paid and you could get paid zero dollars and still turn it into a you know thirty forty thousand dollar uh return because you have this stuff on the tail end like your proprietary mm-hmm. process that says okay mm-hmm. here's how you so it's a matter of like how many names do you collect and what's your mechanism for collecting names on, on, yeah, the, on, on the back end and then how do you how many do you convert and then of those that you convert how many do you get them to to the course and of the, or to the webinar and if you get them to the webinar how do you get them to the course and so you just all these knobs that you can turn and so it's, it's, it's fascinating process and um, hopefully you'll you'll be seeing more of me in 2017. 
Well, good luck. I, I, I'm fascinated by that. I just did a speaking gig uh, like two weeks ago, and it and it is comes okay to me because I've been speaking forever in university, and I got my and I actually insisted on doing a, a post evaluation survey. So I used Survey Gizmo, sent out the evaluation, but I didn't get their email addresses. I let the guy that hired me send out the evaluation. So. And I can see, like, would you recommend this to a friend? Like 88% yes. Would you actually know 100% yes? Would you recommend this to your friend? You know, uh, anyway, it, it, but I don't know. I can't leverage that yet. So I'm asking him, let's do another session. Cause I said, what would you like to learn about next time? Yeah. You know, how to do a Facebook page for business, a couple of different things. And, uh, so I'm going to do another course, but then I'd love to follow up with you to see how to leverage those contacts for, for to take them offline for the future. Yeah, there's a bunch of different ways. I think uh, a lot of people think, well, if, if they're in front of an audience and the person or the host has told them that, that you know they're not allowed to pitch, you know, there's there's different things you can do. Mm-hmm. You, you you can have you can encourage people to get a copy of the handout, or right. there's a, there's a worksheet, or there's some, or if you want this summarized, yeah, I've got a PDF where I've got these three points summarized, and you get them to a URL that has your uh, you know whatever you're using to collect mails you know just get them into yeah, your, you know in, yeah. in in um in marketing speak you get them into your funnel and once they're there then you can have the more long-term conversations with them you can do you know you can do much more in an email than you can with like a couple of minutes after a conference or, or exactly you know, yeah. so podcasters make, make make that mistake as well at the end with their calls to action they get too complicated and they don't realize what we talked about earlier that there are people are on mobile devices and and you you try to send them to your twitter page and to your facebook and subscribe and rate and review and rate and review is really not all it's cut out to be. I mean, from conversations I've, I've had with people, it's really about subscribing and subscribing within a short period of time. And I, I've heard mm-hmm. stories of people that have shot to the top of the, the rankings with one episode released be, simply because um, tons of people were subscribing to that show. And and I think if that's where podcasters focus their efforts in the beginnings of, of, of their show, I think they'd have much more uh, better results. And I think just make the call to action really clear and then continue and pick up the conversation in, in, an, e- in an email. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, to your point, I actually, I don't talk about leave a rating and review as much on, uh, at all anymore on iTunes. And, and when I'm faced if I was at a social event last night and I, I approached three people that I knew would love the podcast, I just gave them a card. I said, I'm a podcaster. You're going to love this podcast because you're an actor and, and I interview, you know, so I'm doing way more of that face to face stuff that yeah. I wouldn't have done in the past. Anyway, Harry, I, I really appreciate being on your podcast. This is so much fun. And, uh, I hope to see you again at, at podcast movement or uh, when you come into Canada, well, you were in Toronto a while ago, but I, was, I, I yeah. didn't get out to that. Yeah. Yeah. Come next time. Let us know. Yes, I'll let you know. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be more active. And I'm I, I think in podcast in the Facebook group that I've created for podcast junkies, which is podcast junkies junkies, is uh, I try to just let people know what's going on and it's the the behind the scenes and it's something I encourage all podcasters to do to sort of find a, a vehicle with which to connect on a deeper level with your audience. And I think uh, you, you'll you'll find that you'll, you'll you'll make new friendships that way as well. And and you can you, that's where you can kind of share where you know for the people who are interested what what's going on with you and how the interview went and what's coming up and what you're struggling with and what your dog is up to. <laughs> which are all, th- cool. all, all things that I share in those videos. Cool. Thanks, Harry. I really appreciated this. Uh, where's the best place? I know you've got a lot of things going on. So the best place for folks to track you down. I just tell people to go to, I'm still a Twitter guy, at Festival Reviews. So that's my website, Stratford Festival Reviews, or at Festival Reviews is the Twitter handle. That's the best place to sort of find me, I think. Interestingly enough, we never even touched <laughs> the festival aspect of it. Yeah, that's a whole other story, yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to do a part two where we dive deeper on that. Sure, anytime. All right. Thanks for your time. Thank you. So I'm going to record the outro the same way I did the intro 
and it's the earbuds again into the Motive MOTIV app. In case you're wondering why it sounds like that and why you can hear my clicker as I <laughs> drive around, I really enjoyed the fact that Keith got specific about the things you can do to ensure that you're really, really connecting with your guests. And I like that idea about asking the question in a way that recognizes the experience that the guest has. So he said, as an American actor, what was it like to play Willie Loman? And you can understand the genius of that because you're setting it up in a way where the audience is now understanding the context of the question and it's helpful for them and it's helpful for the guest so that they give you a response that speaks specifically to what it is you were asking as opposed to just saying, what was it like to play that character? Which I think is genius and it's really, 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 it's, it's, it's nuanced, but I really, really like it and I think it's something that uh, you should take into account when doing your interviews if you have an interview-based interview show. So thanks again to Podbean for sponsoring the show. Head on over to podcastjunkies.com slash podbean. And for sure, head on over to podcastjunkies.com slash shore to see my setup, my current setup, and then to get more information and links to the shore page where you can uh, see the details and specifics about their family of microphones and audio gear. Tune in next week for a conversation with Fabian, host of Marketing to Crush Your Competitors. <laughs> we talk about that, the, the, that title as well, too, so don't worry. She's really an, an amazingly smart uh, person and I was, we really had a, f a fun conversation. She's so organized and professional when it comes to how she approaches her show and her brand that I really think uh, you'll get a lot out of it. So, so that's going to be episode 121. The retention hashtag this week is gluten-free Keith. So if you'll remember, he mentioned he has Crohn's disease. So I thought we'd have a little fun with that. It's hashtag gluten-free, G-L-U-T-E-N-F-R-E-E, -E, Keith. K-E-I-T-H. And his Twitter handle is Festival Reviews, <laughs> which has nothing to do with what we addressed. And we didn't even get to that aspect of what he covers. But I mean, there's so much with Keith that we'll, we may actually have to have a different conversation on that topic. And our Twitter handle is podcast underscore junkies. So tag us both uh, to let us know that you made it this far. Thanks again to Cedar and Soil for providing the intro and outro music. We are a proud member of Podcastica. Welcome again to A Face Project, our newest member of Podcastica. Head on over to podcastica.com for links to all the shows. A new website is in progress where we'll be a bit more engaging there and having pages for the, the feeds of the different show and more details about the hosts so you can see us all there in one spot. Thanks again for all the support you guys provide. Thanks again for your patience. I've been super motivated by the conference by seeing what all the amazing podcasters are doing and how committed they are to their audiences. I was overwhelmed by the feeling of uh, camaraderie and family. And I want to continue to use that and translate that back to you and to uh, my audience, because uh, without you, I wouldn't have a show, quite honestly. And it's as simple as that. So I'm, I'm thinking of Danny Penyan and the speech he gave, the talk he gave about the importance of community. His whole uh, talk and, and the videos he showed were all about the importance of that. And, and I, I always will keep that in mind. 
Uh, Dave Jackson was showing up some slides about the pictures he has of his community on his wall, and those are a constant reminder of his fans. So all those little things just serve to remind me how important you are in my life, and I will continue to bring you interesting conversations with podcasters that motivate you, inspire you, and make you laugh, and sometimes make you cry, but at the end of the day, uh, reveal a little bit more about this podcasting family and uh, remind you why it is that I have these conversations and why we all do what we do. Have a fantastic week.